Hello, everyone. Welcome to the SmackDown 6 podcast. I am your host, Matt Vaughn, and each week on the podcast, we cover an episode of SmackDown or a pay-per-view that took place during the SmackDown 6 era. That's from kind of mid-2002 until early 2004. It's also kind of uh, at the same time as this ruthless aggression era, I put in quotes, because I've always wondered how people perceive that era, how that compares to the PG era, the modern era, kind of the, the Hulk Hogan era, the Attitude era. Of course, but we're not talking about those. We're talking about the SmackDown Six era, and today we are the February twenty seventh, two thousand three episode of SmackDown, which was emanated live to tape from the Labatt Center in London, Ontario. And you know what? I decided this week I was like, I gotta get a good Ontario boy in to to comment on this. I just, I simply don't have the knowledge otherwise to speak to that great province, the people who live there. So. Uh, you know, I, I reached back into my bag of goodies here, and uh, my co-host this week is uh, none other than uh, Chris Demetrenko. Chris, how you doing? I'm doing great, Matt. Happy to be back. It's great. Are you a proud son of Ontario? I am. In fact, uh, during this stage of the pandemic, I have been unable to leave the province. Uh, right. So there really has been no choice whatsoever. I can tell you, though, of the places where I have chosen to, to go, London, Ontario wasn't one of them. Right. Yes. Have you been to London, Ontario, period, before? Yeah. Don't love it. <laughs> I enjoyed my time can in I London. Can I say that? Can I say you, that? You, of course. Yes. You can talk, we can talk about places that we're, like, not overly fond of, generally. I Up until, you know, probably within the last couple of years, I wasn't overly fond of Cape Breton, a very important region of Nova Scotia. Uh, it's but, so beautiful, though. I mean... See, this is I, the thing, though, Chris, is that my experience of it was being a kid who had no... Uh, no say in where you went, and you were just on long car trips with your folks as they drove to soccer tournaments that your older brother was in and that I was not in. So I was very much uh, kind of I was not able to appreciate how beautiful it was. And now I appreciate it's beautiful, and I, I you know I hope to go back you know at least every year. So uh, so but things change. Maybe you'll feel that way about London at some point. <laughs> like ah, it's beautiful here. You know I don't see that happening. But yeah. uh, but but maybe I'll try to be open minded about it. That's good. I love it. Yeah, being it's. It's a positive outlook on life. Well, one thing that was not positive at the time that we're talking about the podcast here uh, was the TV ratings for SmackDown, which even though it did a 3.5, a nice little post-pay-per-view bump, it did not beat Raw, and it will not beat Raw until June. We're covering February, so it's going to be a while. Uh, but that's okay. So this episode, Chris, I was interested in it, and I don't want to spoil elements of this, but uh, there's one wrestler who makes – actually, there's two wrestlers who make debuts on SmackDown. Uh, this week one of them is a partner of chris benoit without saying who it was did you know who it would be when they were like oh he's coming oh i had no idea no, no. idea great okay and and also throughout the one of the through lines of the show is and we'll talk about the specific moment but essentially if brock lesnar beats team angle in a handicap match tonight he gets a member of team angle in a steel cage next week and early on they're very much like oh he's definitely going to pick kurt angle did you believe he was going to pick Kurt Angle, or did you see through that kind of uh, that thin veneer? Well, I've seen a lot of wrestling in my time, Matt, <laughs> and I can tell you, I had a feeling that it wasn't going to be Kurt Angle. Yeah, <laughs> they're like he's he's going to WrestleMania within the month, essentially. Like we're going to do we're going to do uh, all these episodes of SmackDown, and they get to WrestleMania. Like, oh, he'll still face him in a steel cage. It's like, I feel like you're not going to do that. But uh, I'm always curious when, I, when I'm when i like, oh, I remember these things. I want to be like, okay. The, the great thing about having a co-host is like, I can at least go in and be like, 
did, what was your experience of it? And so, yeah, you're like, I was, <laughs> I was not fooled, which is, which for the best. Well, I mean, that being said, in at the time of taping, uh, just this last week's SmackDown did involve a Hell in a Cell match that was moved from a pay-per-view onto SmackDown. Yes. So, you know, I guess it is conceivable that you could have a cage title match on SmackDown, but I didn't think they were going to do it. Nah. Yeah, it's true. And and the, what you're discussing there, the uh, the pre no, uh, the pre Hell in a Cell 2021 SmackDown, very strange thing to do, <laughs> very unusual choice to be made there. <laughs> like you know, instead of especially for a pay per view where that is the the match that they do, where they're like, this is the pay per view match, and we're like, no, we're still going to give one of these away. Actually, they ended up giving two away because they did another one on Raw the next night. That's right. And, you know, I like that just happened to be the one SmackDown that I missed. And of course, so, yeah, like I I faithfully (laughs) tune in. And then, of course, you know, I I missed the whole thing. Watching the four weeks on the network. So at least you're set for that. You can circle your calendar for that. Exactly. Oh, man. So uh, let's talk about. So we'll talk about last week's episode. Then we'll talk about Velocity and then we'll get into the show itself. So the last week. Uh, on, on last week's episode of this podcast, we covered No Way Out 2003, the February pay-per-view. And uh, Matt Hardy won the Cruiserweight title from Billy Kidman. Undertaker made Big Show tap out, which made sense because I don't know how he could do literally any of his other finishing maneuvers on the guy. Uh, Brock, Brock Lesnar and Chris Benoit beat Team Angle um, after they beat up Edge and after Brock lit- broke Kurt Angle's neck during that match in real life. And The Rock beat Hulk Hogan. After a screwy finish involving an evil referee and Vince McMahon. And it's a weirdly forgettable pay-per-view. If you watch it, you do, okay. But then, uh, you know, it did not leave much of an impact at the time. It was not a show that made a big difference there in a strange way. Um, So, yeah. Did you know, Chris, about uh, that broke Kurt Angle's neck in that match? I did not know that. Yeah. And so so Angle was able to still fight in WrestleMania that year? That is one of the drama, uh, one of the dramas really that we're we'll watching over the next few weeks because it's it's actually an active question, and this is this is one of the craziest things is that at one point I think the, I don't know if it's the week before WrestleMania or if it's two weeks before, uh, it's like Kurt, your neck's not okay, but you have to drop the title to Brock on SmackDown. Oh, we for WrestleMania, and then he's going to face Chris Benoit in the main event, or a main event, I guess. I don't know what exactly they would do, but that was an active discussion thing that they do, and as you wa- if you watch the show, I don't know when, uh, if you'll be on one of those shows. It would be kind of interesting if you were. Um, there's a time where Kurt, Kurt Angle and Brock Lesnar, they're like, yeah, they're going to have a match. It's going to happen, and they do a little angle uh, where they kind of, they do, it's kind of a screwy thing. Um, but it is, yeah, it is 100%. So, so Kurt Angle is compromised, and that's one of the weird things about the WrestleMania match itself is that Brock Lesnar ends up getting really hurt by the end of it too. So SmackDown, by the end of the night, they're like two of our guys because Kurt Angle came in with a broken neck. Brock almost breaks his neck on a shooting star press, which is a crazy thing to say, but it definitely said that actually happened. Um, and they're just like, what what has happened to our, our our roster here? So yeah, real quick, No Way Out 2003. There's there's a moment that's actually very similar to another moment that actually happens in, uh, on this show. Where uh, Kurt Angle has Brock Lesnar in a in a sleeper hold, he's got his legs grapevine around him, and Brock gets up and he he runs into the corner and he turns around and hits Kurt into the corner. Right, he's just he's got, he's on his back doing the sleeper. He needs to get him off of him, so he does that once. Okay, he does it a second time and he lands in kind of an awkward way. So that Kurt's I don't know if Kurt 
Hype extends his neck or if Kurt's neck kind of goes into the turnbuckle. But immediately Kurt's body uh, changes. He, his, he He's like so much more awkward. He gets to the ropes. He tags out. He's like laying down there. Uh, it's one of those things where I, I honestly didn't know this when I was watching it back in 2003. I knew that, you know, eventually that Kurt had neck issues because he ends up going away for it. But I didn't know watching that show that it had happened before. But now I, I'm, I heard Kurt Angle talk about it on his podcast. Uh, I was like, okay, well, I'll watch for rush for it was yeah and kurt kurt but keep he keeps wrestling in that match he keeps doing things where he's getting thrown and punched and like he doesn't seem to be doing anything different even though he has i think he breaks two vertebrae at least you know i know that kind of saying you broke your neck is maybe not the most um like straightforward description of what happens when there's a lot of body and a lot of things there but yeah it was a really curious thing well super tough dude i i was just reading an article about about Kurt now, and he says that he has to put in two to three hours of uh, training, basically to uh, like stretching, different muscle training, particularly with his neck, because otherwise he's in, in constant pain. And I still think he experiences a lot of pain, but he had a painkiller addiction, yes. so he doesn't want to to use that. So this poor guy has to put in hours of training a day just to feel like himself, probably because he was doing shit like that. Yeah, like pretty pretty much exactly like that. And it's crazy, like he is he is a sign of the consequences of the time, right? And I mean, there's there are darker signs of the time where you have uh, Chris Benoit and Eddie who are both dead. Uh, and that is, you know, partially because of just like the life that they lived as wrestlers, uh, right. and how hard it is on the body. And if you live, you don't. You're not always a winner. You're just a survivor, really, in a lot of ways, like Kurt. Uh, and you know, in some ways, it's just you, you have to be kind of grateful he's not in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so you got you to pray for Kurt. Make sure he's taken care of. He doesn't. So he doesn't have to live under that much pain. That's a horrible thing to yeah. imagine with there. So, um, so yes, that was No Way Out 2003 and the major uh, events of consequence on that show. And so let's talk about tonight's episode. Uh, and specifically, let's talk about Velocity, which was taped before SmackDown. At the Labatt Center on uh, February 25th, 2003. That's when it was taped, at least. So, Velocity. We had a couple of dark matches. So, Sean O'Hare, who has been uh, showing up uh, in some promos in recent weeks, but not uh, this episode. We don't see him. Uh, he wrestled. He defeated a guy named Bobby Roode, uh, who we know is a guy who is glorious uh, now. Oh, uh, wow. Robert Roode. So, yeah. So, this was another time where they're in Canada. So, Bobby Roode gets the call. They say, hey, we want you to come wrestle for us. And he goes, like, oh, like, for WWE, period? Like, can I be like a roster guy? And they're like, no, not for like a decade or more, pretty much. So did they call him Bobby Roode? Yeah, he was Bobby Roode in the independent scene. I, I remember watching him. Uh, I think I, he wrestled in Halifax at an indie show that I went to go see. And he was Bobby Roode. Oh, hey, wow. Yeah. It's true. Also, another dark match. Chris Canyon defeated Tyson Ducks, who is another Canadian wrestler who did a lot of dark matches for WWE at this time. And I think the last time I mentioned him. Somebody, I don't know if it was Will or Daniel, who is current resident of London, Ontario, said that the, that Tyson Ducks has a wrestling school there. So this might be home turf for Tyson Ducks, actually. And so he is going up against Canyon. So yeah. There you go. Yeah. And then on Velocity itself, uh, we had uh, three matches. So Bill Demott, he somehow managed to powerbomb Kidman, who usually gets out of every powerbomb, but he gets out of it. He did the weird thing, which I've mentioned before in this podcast, where he pins the guy and then he kind of like stays on top of him for a little weird longer. And you're like, eh, it's not sexual, but it looks like it, and it's weird, and it's Bill Demont, uh-huh. but it's yeah, it's just weird, weird like, 
like wrestling. Yeah, it can have homoerotic moments if you just kind of let it linger, and uh, that's what Bill Demott did here. He let it linger. Uh, also, Chavo Guerrero, uh, he he really grabbed the tights on a roll up, putting away Johnny Stamboli. So we saw some of Johnny Stamboli's rear end on that one. Uh, he's uh, Johnny now is currently teamed up with Nunzio and uh, 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 Chuck Palumbo, who we're gonna see on this episode. They are, they have a they have a name for the little group of guys, so we'll see what the, what's going on with them. Uh, and so Stamboli, because he's a bad dude, he slammed Chavo after the match to get his revenge. So we we gotta know, we gotta still take these guys seriously, even though even though the these guys pretty much never win a match. Um, it's just how it goes. In the main event of Velocity, we had Rey Mysterio, and he put away Shannon Moore with a six one nine and a West Coast pop. So Rey Mysterio uh, was on heats before No Way Out. And now he's on velocity, so he is—he's uh, running through the B shows right now. Not a great place for Rey Mysterio, considering how much talent no. he has. But yeah. um, I mean, but, but I mean, whenever he's there, the fans are friggin' excited, so that's good. <laughs> he's like the the sign of good things to come there. So yeah, so this week's episode of SmackDown, we're gonna cover it now. Now, one thing I do want to point out, which I feel like I didn't have an opportunity to do uh, in too much detail last week on the podcast, uh, was point out that this is right around. This is probably the second show where Paul Heyman who is obviously a character on this show. Uh, he was also the head booker of SmackDown uh, at the time during the run of this podcast, essentially from the time that we started watching it and, and doing these shows to right now. And he was fired by Vince McMahon as head booker. Now he's obviously still in the company. He's, he's, he's on TV. He's in part of a major angle um, with a guy named angle. Uh, and so yes, Paul Heyman is gone uh, from a creative end there. And so last week's show felt really, really different to me. Like it was, it was much more kind of attitude era, like, um, even this show, uh, I don't know. Like, I don't know, Chris. Could you tell anything was different on the show? Just in the way, like there was a couple more promos that stuck out to me as like, oh, that's not really that SmackDowny. Um, did anything beforehand? Well, the matches were shorter for one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there they were, really are. There were there were more matches, uh, but it definitely seemed significantly less wrestling heavy. Yeah. And I did not know that, that there was a change in creative direction immediately beforehand. But I, I, I did feel that this episode was different for that reason. Yeah, it's it's a pretty marked difference. Like, honestly, like, if you watched um, if you watched the last match of the pay-per-view and the one before that, it, it just, yeah, they just feel like really different shows. Um, so, yeah, it's an, it's an interesting time. And it's going to be interesting how to chart that and see what feels different and what's the same. Now... Of course, they're still doing storylines that started with um, by Paul Heyman. There's still things that are happening on this show that are continuing on, which I think are interesting. And uh, anyway, that's an important kind of detail and the kind of thing that we need to talk about on the SmackDown 6 podcast, especially – and I'm especially just interested to get uh, my other co-hosts just to be like, yeah, like, do you feel different? Do you see anything? Do you like it? Do you not like it? Um, you know, I think it's different. I don't think the show is bad, though. I think the show has some interesting parts to it, so I'm excited to get into it. And uh, the show starts with the Beautiful People intro, um, and now it has a bunch of footage. There's a bunch more new footage in there. There's a lot of um, Evil Rock, which is an odd choice, and we'll talk about why that's a weird choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nathan Jones is also in there. Nathan Jones hasn't even been on the show yet. We'll we'll get to that. Uh, and so, yeah, so this is their kind of uh, – their post-pay-per-view opportunity to change some things up, and I believe – this is the last major revision of this version of the theme song because in a few months we are going to a new theme song and a new video package altogether, different style and everything. Um, so that's an exciting kind of 2003 thing to look forward to on the SmackDown 6 podcast. And uh, the show opens up with Vince McMahon. He struts out. He has an a- angry purpose. like He's got a little kind of like angry energy there. 
in the crowd, we see Hogan got screwed signs. We see Vince fears Hulkamania. And uh, Vince starts, he says, uh, he says, you know, London, uh, the Rock will not be here tonight. And Vince said, you know, that Rock has earned his right to pick whatever show he wants to go to and that he chose uh, to go from SmackDown to Raw. Uh, and so it's like, J- there you go. So if you were to go and see the Raw before this, of course, the Rock would be on there uh, and not on SmackDown. And I don't, so, you know, obviously it's like, OK, so I guess the Rock could, if you want to come back and wrestle on SmackDown, too. But why do they add a bunch of Rock clips to the intro then? That is strange. I mean, I guess just his massive star power, uh, I suppose. Yeah. But yeah, certainly uh, announcing at the start that The Rock will not be on the show is um, is a bit of a downer way to begin the program, I'd say. Yeah. Even it's funny because I think they're trying to be like, oh, he's a ba- he's a heel, so he he wants to bum you out, and it's like, yeah, but. There's some things that are like fundamentally more of a bummer and they're not like they're like, oh, I want to boo him. They're like, I want to not watch this because the people I want aren't on it, uh, which I think they sometimes they don't do a great job of that sometimes recognizing that there are. Uh, yeah. Reasons why you would want to turn the show off, not just boo somebody. So and, and then he announces that Hulk Hogan is not on the show. Yes. He goes two for two with it. He says. He says Hogan is a flimsy, flimsy excuse of a family emergency, and Vince even says like, yeah, I think it has something to do with his son Nicholas, and it's like, okay, like, like usually of all things, like a family emergency is almost never elucidated upon. Like no one ever explains what a family emergency is. It's, just, it's the most like, uh, in in culture, if you like family emergency, you go okay, you say nothing, you don't ask about it, you move on, because it could be anything from a death to you know a near tragedy or some major drama. Um, I don't know right. why Nick, where Nick Hogan f- features into that. I don't know why it wouldn't feature Brooke. I know Brooke was kind of becoming a reality star, I think, at the time there. So who knows? Well, I mean, it's not entirely surprising because, I mean, let's be honest, London, Ontario, The Rock and Hulk Hogan are not coming to your show. Right. <laughs> they don't want to come to hang out in the London Holiday Inn for a little while there. Which is tough. I mean, they were in Indianapolis the week before. I guess Indianapolis has an NFL team. So they're a bit, bit more major of a city. But mm-hmm. there you go. So Vince Cole, uh, he says that Hogan is actually a coward. He's afraid of Vincent Kennedy McMahon. And, uh, you know, he he's, he proudly screwed Hulk Hogan at No Way Out. And uh, he, he explains in detail uh, what, what happened. And uh, he says that the ref who screwed Hogan was Canadian just like you. And he also says that we're going to see the footage later tonight. Uh, which is the first time they say that, and they say it like a thousand times before they actually <laughs> they the do. Like, so many times. Uh, I actually it, thought it, that they were yeah. not going to show the footage, or that there <laughs> yeah. was, you know, that this this was there was going to be some kind of swerve, and it wasn't just going to be replaying what happened on the pay per view. But sure enough, that's what it was. They do that. Well, it's funny too because when I had a similar thought to actually show it because I, I scrubbed through it on the, on the WWE Network. If anybody is listening to this and they don't have WWE Network, you can go to segments. They can go through. They can go to the wrestlers and everything like that. They used to have a great thing where you could go to not just a match but also the ending of a match. So they had a kind of like – they even picked a little spot for it. And they changed over the network and they, they got rid of that feature, which is um, a disaster as far as I'm concerned. But um, there is no segment labeled like we get to see the main event or the, the last five minutes of No Way Out again. It is happening there. But I was also like I don't even see it until it happened. So, yes. Oh, Vince also adds that McMahon and Mania is running wild 
And he uh, goes so far as to climb the turnbuckle to raise his arms in victory before leaving. So he is uh, he's feeling himself. He is being cocky in this moment and and unapologetic uh, for for what he did to Hulk Hogan. So then we t- then Cole and Taz tell us that Brock Lesnar is going to be facing Team Angle tonight in a handicap match. That's the the two guys, Haas and Benjamin, not uh, Kurt. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of handicap match between Brock and them recently. There was obviously kind of a handicap match on No Way Out just there. They did a gauntlet kind of thing. So they're they're all about giving Brock a disadvantage, making him making him the underdog somehow. And then we have, and I'm sure Chris, before they explained what happened here, you were like, of course, this match, Tori Wilson and Funaki against Jamie Noble and Nidia. So like, can you explain to me why Tori and Funaki are together? Is there anything absolutely. romantic happening there, or is this just a platonic partnership? I believe it's platonic, although it's <laughs> time. I don't know if I would trust any male wrestler to be like, yeah, yeah, no, no, I'm not interested in Tori, because everybody, you know, the, the show is still so so horny in so many ways, where everybody's kind of like, oh, I'm a, kind of a horn dog. Uh, so what happened was that uh, Jamie and Nydia, they worked together after Tori Wilson uh there was a paddle on a pole match. The paddle was like a kind of like a, a hazing paddle uh, where the winner gets the paddle, then they can spank the opponent. Because the women at the time that were talking about this uh, were respected and treated well. And those are the kind of storylines <laughs> they did because um, they're equals and uh, they're, they're fantastic. Anyway, so so yeah, just try to conceive that, of yeah. like, you know, rock versus Hogan with a paddle. on. No, that that's never something that two men are going to do. That's yeah. right. It's Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, paddle. You're <laughs> <laughs> like what? Like, or even just a match where it's like, a race showdown. Uh, yeah. yeah. Roman, Roman Reigns against <laughs> Rey Mysterio in a in a boxers match where he stripped the guy yeah. down in his underwear. I mean, I mean, they would get an audience for it. People would pay money to see it. Uh, specific kinds of people, but they would pay to see. It. They would happen. So yeah, so after the after the paddle, like essentially like Noble like grabbed Tori and they worked together and really worked her over. And then uh, Funaki ran down to save Tori, and he was he goes he was like a house of fire, which was fun. He was like ah, he was all worked up about it. So Funaki ended up being uh, the guy closest there. It would be it would have been funny if like 15 guys came out and they all were trying to save Tori, and they're like oh Tori, look I saved you. And it's like 15 guys are being like look I also saved you. Uh, anyway, I think that'd be great. Uh, okay, so sponsor for tonight. For this match, they get the sponsors out of the way quickly here. So, first one is Truth, the anti-tobacco. I don't know if it's a company or campaign. Uh, the U.S. Army, uh, with a tagline "Learn how to become an army of one." And I always like I, I because I'm Canadian, I'm steeped in American culture, and so that doesn't shock me. But I always wonder what like a pe- like someone from like I don't know like Germany would think if they they saw the army was sponsoring SmackDown. <laughs> They're just like, yeah, they, they do that. Uh, also, PlayStation Two. So there we go. Love that. Sometimes the Navy sponsors things too. I think there's an Army Bowl, I think. They're like in college football, if I'm not mistaken. Um, well, yeah. that is one thing that has been consistent with the WWE for a very, very long time is uh, anti-tobacco and now anti-vaping sponsorship. Yes. And the Army. It's uh, just a consistent thread through decades. Yeah, it's true. I I wonder. <laughs> It would be kind of fun to watch a WWE show that's sponsored by like, the Canadian Armed Forces or something like that. You know, like uh, I just like to see that, especially because growing up in the '90s, the whole joke of the Canadian Armed Forces was like, ah, we have no money, we don't do anything. Uh, we have pickup trucks, and then and then 9/11 happened, and it was like, uh, no, that's not a joke anymore. <laughs> we spend it, we we spend a ton of money on it now. It's like, all right, very good. But yeah, they they they're, they're, people are going to smoke and die and not watch the products. Uh, but then they're like, you know, we do want to send you off into war zones um, so that we can <laughs> right. support the troops. We're happy to see that. 
we, they will be supporting the troops in person later in the year, which we'll talk about uh, much later in the year. So Michael Cole tells us that tonight we're going to find out which diva from SmackDown is going to be featured in Playboy. And Taz, as he did last week, was like, oh, I really hope it's Stephanie. And he's just like, just openly just like, I want to see Stephanie undressed. And it's like, okay, Taz, this is weird because you are, I assume you, she's your boss, which is strange. Yeah, yeah. You can't say that about your boss. No. Ever. I mean, you also there's, can't say that about your no, There's no appropriate <laughs> situation to say that about your no. I, even a colleague, really, but certainly yes. not your boss. Exactly. And then it's like and Stephanie would never lower herself to talking in su- in, in, about such tawdry things on the show. Well, actually, we'll see what happens after this mm-hmm. match. Because it comes up. So Noble comes by the announce table before the match starts with Nydia. And essentially, he just like, brings her there. And then Michael Cole and Taz are like, are you saying Nydia could be the person? He's like, yeah. And they're like, I don't know about that. Michael Cole is like really skeptical. It's like, it's kind of rude, I guess. I mean, not that I should be like yeah. in favor of them being undressed but whatever uh and so this is this is one of those matches where i find out partway through this is a truly an intergender match because it's it's not a mixed tag match where you tag out and the women face the women the men face the men because at one point nidia tags in and she stomps on funaki and she tags back out but it, she just beats him up yeah i didn't realize so was this something that was standard back then when you had mixed gender matches it was truly you know the the woman can be fighting the man. Was this sort of a standard fare that at, at some point they abandoned? The line that I always heard was like, oh, WWE has never really done that. Now, of course, they had China, and so she just wrestled right. men all the time. It was no big deal. Mm-hmm. But I was always – and maybe it's just because in recent years. In recent years, they almost never do that. Now, obviously, yeah. they've, there's been matches, and I mean there's one you know, a year or two ago where – you know, Baron Corbin, uh, end of days, uh, Becky Lynch. And it was like this big heel move, right. um, which almost makes more sense, right? To be, to be like the men beat, does one thing to the woman and it gets over as a big heel move. That actually happens in this match also. Not end of days, but um, but another uh, move. Uh, there's other wrestling that happens to them. But yeah, this is it's a strange thing to see that because they kind of they kind of mess with it sometimes. It's like, yeah, OK, it's, it's odd. So uh, Funaki's in the ring. He reverses a tiger driver into a slingshot in the corner where Nidia is. Uh, so Noble flies into Nidia. And then Funaki takes over from there. He gets a nice bulldog. Uh, a tornado DDT gets countered, so both men are down. And then Jamie Noble tags in Nidia, who goes for a splash on Funaki. Funaki moves. So Tori comes in after she gets tagged. She beats on Nidia, and then uh, she sees Noble in the ring and slaps slaps him around, uh, which leads to him slamming her, uh, slamming her head into the mat which is just kind of a strange thing. It's like this, this very kind of violent thing to see Jamie Noble do that. Um, although we've seen Jamie Noble get physical with Tori before, uh, where there's been matches where he's like interfered on Nidia's behalf as a big heel move. But anyway, strange. Uh, Funaki hits a baseball slide on Noble outside the ring. He does a little uh, slingshot body press. And Tori gets a leg sweep on Nidia. And Nidia kicks out. And I was very surprised because I was like, oh, they don't really do a lot of kickouts in women's matches. Like they usually just like in and out, neck breaker, two minutes, we're done. Uh, and then down runs Don Marie because Chris, this isn't over apparently. Don Marie and Tori are like cosmically drawn <laughs> together to fight each other, to feud eternally. It's got to be one of the longest feuds. Like, uh, there's got to be a record for longest continuous feud in WWE. I'd love to know what that is. I'm sure. Uh, maybe one of the listeners of the pod can let us know. But this has got to be one of the longest. And it does bring me a certain joy that it's that it's ongoing i mean there yeah. is a I, there is i suppose a, a very real purpose to involving don marie in yes. what's happening tonight 
Yes, they want to have all the women on the roster, all three of them, be be in at center stage for what happens after the match. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Don, yeah, Don runs down. Taz says tomatoes everywhere because it's Taz. <laughs> and then Tori knocks Don over and gets the schoolboy roll up, or should I say, schoolgirl roll up on India for the one, two, and three. And then after the match, Stephanie McMahon comes out. Taz's uh, focal point. Uh, and she tells us that this announcement is for mature audiences only. And then Stephanie proceeds to give an incredible uh, lead-up to announcing who's going to be on the cover of Playboy. She talks about, like, don't you want to see my body? She's talking about what body parts you want to see, and she's pointing to herself. And she's making it, essentially, uh, that's all. About, she's essentially teasing that it's going to be her, um, which is weird. And I just it's weird how she talks about it. It's weird that this is like that this is a powerful woman of the time is like into objectifying herself and people on the on the roster um and then she finally announces that it's not her who's gonna be in playboy it's tori and tori is shocked very excited which is funny because i'm if i'm like friends with tori i'd be like you like you knew you were probably going to get that right like the competition (laughs) here is not that fierce like truly and Uh, and it's it's, treated as this big celebratory moment like like uh (laughs) Way to go, Tori. Uh, this is a big achievement in your career. Michael Colston's dreams do come true. <laughs> it's like, what? Do girls dream of that? It's, it's really, I've mentioned this before on the pod, it's really quite incredible how Stephanie, today, she is considered this champion of women's wrestling and women's empowerment and, and allowing women to occupy roles that were previously only offered to the men, but she was really central uh, to, you know, perhaps the historical low point of women's wrestling from the 1990s to today. Uh, maybe things were a little bit better at Raw uh, on the at the time because they had Trish Stratus. Not really. <laughs> has it has it ever been worse for women than on SmackDown? in this particular era. And Stephanie was largely responsible for that, including tonight. Uh, and she, she tells, she, I thought this, I laughed out loud at this. She tells Tori, don't worry, this will not interfere at all with your appearance on Girls Gone Wild. Yes. Yes. Which I'm guessing exactly. is, 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 you know, what, Tor, what else Tori Wilson was, was doing at the time. Yeah. So exactly. So Stephanie announces the Playboy thing. Then we see Tori and Stephanie backstage, and she tells her exactly that. You can, it won't conflict with Gone Wild. Like, yeah, it's a banner day for women on SmackDown. You're like, you're just like, just I don't even know what else it could be if she could just name it like, like oh, and also we got to we keep getting calls from this porn site to see you. Also, it's like it's yeah, it's really <laughs> well. At least uh, at very least. We, we don't have to deal with the awkwardness of, like, Al Wilson being there cheering his daughter on yeah. through these career accomplishments of, of her being naked. It's a wonder they never they never did a thing where Don Marie was like, Al, great news for you. You're going to be in Playgirl magazine. <laughs> <laughs> they killed him off too soon. They could have done this. They could have had Al tastefully posing dude somewhere or something like that. Or maybe he's, like, in an art book or something like that. Uh, something more upscale. <laughs> right. Yeah. Sadly, he's kayfabe dead, which is too bad. Um, yeah, it's also funny. Your point about Stephanie is totally true, by the way, because obviously she's an uh, like an on-air personality here, but she's also in creative at the time. 
Yeah. So she is very much part of the uh, actual creative team who's doing this at the time. So, yeah. Um, speaking of naked men, uh, Stephanie turns around to go into her dressing room and Brian Kendrick is there. And Stephanie even calls him naked boy because of a recent uh, time where he was, went streaking at uh, Sean O'Hare's behest on the show to try to make an impact. Uh, and Stephanie saw him and was very like very googly eyed, googly eyed at him. And so Brian Kendrick is essentially like, look, I want to I want to be on the roster. Here's what I'll do. I'll, I'll take on WWE champion Kurt Angle tonight just to prove how bad I want it. And Stephanie's like, OK, if you last five minutes with Kurt, then you get to be on the roster. And so this is something that was kind of happening at the time because famously uh, another guy was on the roster uh, and back in June he did this. His name is John Cena. This was John Cena's debut is that he was able to last five minutes with Kurt Angle. Um, it was like five minutes and 30 seconds. Kurt parted away shortly after the five minutes thing. Uh, and then to end the segment, uh, Michael Cole says that Brian Kendrick shouldn't quit his day job. And I was like, okay, well, his day job is wrestling, Michael Cole. So – you know, it's not like we don't have we don't know him as like oh he also works at Dairy Queen or something like that. That right. could be a fun addition. But it's just a, just a strange. Like, could you maybe have a little bit of faith in the guy, please? I would love that. So uh, next up we have Nunzio accompanied to the ring by Johnny Stamboli and Chuck Palumbo against Eddie Guerrero and Chavo Guerrero. And now Nunzio and his crew are officially called the Full Blooded Italians, the FBI. So no longer do we have to call them anything else. And you know what? It kind of makes sense because he was with. Jamie Noble before he was kind of in the wilderness and now Nunzio yeah. at least he's involved in a stable that uh while not terribly original at least it kind of makes sense yes for sure and it's like we we, we are uh, we're definitely Italian we're vaguely mob related uh not so much to actually draw the ire of actual mobs uh hopefully uh but that is essentially their thing do you think mobs get offended by um being stereotyped as as mobs I don't think they do like I th- like I th- yeah. like I think that if you're like in the mafia, you can't complain about Italians being represented as being in the mafia. Right. Yeah, that that is true. It's like, <laughs> they're acting like we run a protection racket here. It's like, well, you do. Uh, that's true. I'm gonna kill you. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah like yeah. I think I think they're okay with that. Yeah. I'm gonna kill you, and then at your funeral, I'm gonna pick off a couple more people because you dare to say I'm in the mafia. Disgusting, disgusting accusation against me and my brothers, who are not actually my brothers, but are uh, associates of mine. Uh, yeah, it's a good point. I think I rem- in some media, the the people go out of the way to not be like this specific family. Like I think like, when Godfather came out, they didn't say, "Oh, this is Cosa Nostra," which is like an actual organization. They were just like, "Yeah, it's the mafia. It's like the there's just families," but because they didn't want to actually, you know, have people be mad at them. But yeah, I don't think there are any mafias that are currently known as the full-blooded Italians, except for those in WWE themselves. Correct. Correct. So Eddie starts off with the advantage. Uh, he gets a rope-running arm drag on Nunzio. Michael Cole also says Nunzio's put together one hell of a group. And I'm like, if you check their win, you would not think they were one hell of a group. I think they might have like one win between them in the last like four weeks. I'm just going to spitball there. And uh, so Eddie goes off the ropes. Chuck, he gets tripped up by Chuck. Uh, and then Chuck ends up clubbing him a little bit later on there. And so Nunzio has a little bit of an edge there. And then Eddie fights back. He gets a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker, then an electric chair drop, and then he gets a kind of uh, T-bone suplex. He goes up for a frog splash. Nunzio dodges. There's a little roll-up exchange, and then Eddie manages to pin Nunzio while quote-unquote grabbing his tights. Uh, it's one of those tough things in wrestling where there definitely is supposed to be a tights grab while it happens, but sometimes in the moment where you're you're rolling all over the guy and you have to have that moment. 
Uh, it doesn't always work that well for actually grabbing. So Eddie wins. He pins Renuncio. One, two, three. And uh, immediately after the match, the FBI, they jump Eddie. They beat on Chavo when he gets in. But then Rikishi. Rikishi runs out. Ah! We love Rikishi when he runs out and saves people. Uh, he had issues with the FBI last week, of course. So it kind of makes sense. And so Rikishi and Los Guerreros confer in the ring. And so they are, I don't know, at least temporary allied in this fight. Um, yeah, I mean, I would see my presumption, of course, that this would lead to a tag match. But at least there's not one until even next week there's a tag team match, but it's not a uh, six-man tag. So maybe they're holding off on the Rikishi-Guerreros connection here. Um, I'm not sure what you would call them, though. Like the, like the Samoan-Mexican connection? I don't, know. I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But I did note that at no point did the camera zoom in on any racist signs for the Guerreros coming hey, in. And I don't know if that's just because the people in London, Ontario are just too classy for that, or if perhaps the WWE decided to move on from this. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure either. I think part of it's just that they're faces now. So they don't want to be like, oh, they're heels. Look, people don't like right. them. Right. Like, well, people, people are being uh, using race against them. So I think that's the reason. So we'll see, hopefully we'll see yeah. if there's anything like that. Mm-hmm. Michael Cole then promotes the screwing of Hulk Hogan. Like that's the official name of this kind of this tragic video that we're going to see. That'll be the name of it. Today it will be the YouTube video title, which is actually the footage from No Way Out. So he promotes that once again. And then we go backstage. Stephanie is in her office. She's working on her laptop. And uh, Paul Heyman shows up uh, saying that she, she was looking paul Heyman here and uh, I, I like what's about to happen here because there's consequences for something bad happening in wrestling which i like and so stephanie says that all right so kurt angle was supposed to face um brock lesnar last week but he changed the rules he made the match a, a gauntlet match where he had to go through haas and benjamin first and, yeah so stephanie said okay we you know turned about his fair play so brock made a rule change this week and i would argue it's not really a rule change more of a stipulation <laughs> Which is, if he wins his match, this candy cap match against Team Angle, he gets to pick a member of Team Angle to wrestle in a steel cage next week. And uh, I just like it because, yeah, Kurt Angle did something. It's funny also to think, like, oh, he changed the rules last week. It's like, do you not have a system in place to make sure guys don't just do that? Like, what, what, what kind of show are you running where you're like, oh, I don't know, my hands are tied, but I can at least make consequences the next week. So, anyway. It's an interesting choice. And so, <laughs> Taz and Cole are now speculating about who Brock is going to face in the cage. And they essentially landed up being Kurt, and they telegraph it so clear that it would be Kurt that now it seems obvious that it will not be Kurt. Right. That's how wrestling works. Essentially, mm-hmm. essentially, Chris, what you what you uh, landed on at the beginning of the show. Um, and I remembered what happened here, uh, but it's also yeah, I don't know. I think it's fairly obvious. Although the reveal later on, picks to wrestle uh, after meeting Team Angle. Spoilers for that. Uh, is 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 a fun little bit of business. I like that. It is. It is. Behind Taz, as he's talking about who Brock's going to pick, there's just a sign that says Taz is bald. Uh, and Taz is not bald at the time. He has a little bit of hair. He might be balding, but he's not bald. And it's also interesting they would choose. To, they're like, well, I think they were like, well, we're going to be behind Taz, so why don't we put have a Taz-centered sign, which I at least respect that. It's thematic. <laughs> I suppose. It's just kind of a weird, like, I don't know, oddly sort of personal uh, attack. You know, yeah. it's, it's like, yeah. Yeah, and let's be honest, like, you know, I'm just going to call it out right now. It's 2021. That's body shaming. It is. You know, it's yeah. it's like if, if Paul Heyman was on commentary and someone had a sign saying, Paul Heyman is slightly overweight. You yeah. Know? 
Yeah, yeah, a little, a little odd. London, Ontario. I guess that was the best they could do for for someone who was upset with Taz. That's right. You know, we're it's 2021, guys. We gotta we gotta be the watch out. We're gonna we have to police what happened in 2003 on this show here. At least call them. I like calling it out because at least it's funny now to be to think about how we just wouldn't do a lot of this stuff. Um, so Michael Cole promotes WWE.com. And uh, we get to see the site after the pay-per-view on Sunday, which is always fun because it's on, like, Netscape Navigator. <laughs> right. Which, that was out of date even 2003. People were not using Netscape Navigator then. That's a, more, that's a 1998 browser. Let's be real. Or at least using uh, Internet Explorer this time. And uh, so that leads to we see a little bit of footage of Edge being wheeled away after getting injured backstage by someone at No Way Out on Sunday. They don't say who. But it is heavily implied that it was, of course, the people who faced him that night. Team Angle. And so now we see a video clip, uh, and it's from – I think it's from tonight. It's kind of live. Yes, it's live because what happens at the end of it. And so Chris Benoit is talking about it with, with Brock Lesnar, saying that it was obviously Team Angle who did it. And so he tells Brock, you know, you just win tonight, and then you get it. what you do is you injure someone from the team next week, just like what happened with Edge there. So it's kind of the uh, um, the untouchables, like you put one of theirs in the hospital, put one of them theirs in the morgue kind of thing. That's kind of Chris mm-hmm. Benoit's thought. And so Brock says he's going to win, but he's like, well, what about you, Benoit? Like, aren't you worried that Team Angle will take you out next? Which is, like, kind of a valid point, you know? There's, there's kind of this this kind of clue game that could be happening backstage where Team Angle is just taking people out. Um, and I realize now the irony of it being Chris Benoit, like he did murder someone in a house, two people. Anyway, dark thought. Dark mm-hmm. thought on the SmackDown 6 podcast, folks. But Chris Benoit says, no, I'm not worried about being taken out by Team Angle. I have friends, too. And then he kind of leans into another room and he speaks to an unseen person. He's like, "Hey, you ready to go?" It's like, "Sure." And it's like, "Oh, oh, okay. So who is this? This is kind of a fun little, fun little moment." And then Michael Cole and Taz are excited to tell us that uh, after seeing a promo of WrestleMania 19, that Limp Biscuit is going to be playing the WrestleMania theme live at Safeco Field that night. And they act, they're like, "Can you believe that if you buy WrestleMania, you're going to see a concert <laughs> of Limp Biscuit? Like, what? Are, like, we might as well also send you some cookies or something." I give you five bucks back. Like this is crazy. They get limp biscuit. Uh, it's of, of all the the things on this particular show. This this announcement probably is is the element that aged the the worst. Mm-hmm. Was uh, the the excitement of landing limp biscuit as as your musical act. Yeah, I would say it's competitive with the Girls Gone Wild thing. Considering the, the founder of Girls Gone Wild is now like a, a criminal for. The ways that he uh, kind of abused women in the situations. Oh, fair, yeah. But 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 it's it's competitive. Like I say, it's totally competitive. It's yes, yes. Limp uh, Did you like Limp Biscuit in 2003? Does that is that a, a group that appealed to you at all? I mean, Nucky's a great song. Let's be honest. Let's be yeah. Let's not we, you know let's not stand on ceremony here. Like we realize <laughs> Limp Biscuit had some bangers, folks. You did. I remember being at a party and playing. Um, Oh, is it one thing? Is that Limp Bizkit song? Anyway, I played a song for somebody and a girl that and, uh, this is like grade seven to be cool. This is also like 2003. So I'm not like a cool guy at a party. Fun, I was actually never a cool guy at a party. But this was like I, this is like when I was like young. This is like grade seven or grade eight. And, uh, and I remember playing it. And a girl was like, oh, wow. I never thought Limp Bizkit was that's actually pretty good. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm cultured. I'm playing Limp Bizkit at a grade eight party for a girl to be like, they're actually not bad. And you should even see you should see the video where it's that, but it's it's Undertaker fighting Big Show, which is what they would do all this time with these promo videos. Anyway, Limp Biscuit guys, WrestleMania 19. So watch one of the Smash on Six podcasts in a few weeks, and we cover that show. 
Looking forward to it. We'll do a whole episode uh, just on the performance. We should. We're, we we should clear it out. I'll get you on. I'll bring everybody yeah. in. Why not? We've never done a multi-guy show before. Maybe this is, that's the time to do it. To go into Limp yeah. Biscuit. Next up, we have Matt Hardy and Shannon Moore against Chris Benoit and someone else. And uh, so Matt's Matt facts this week is which are always featured in his uh, his en- intro says Matt's pants are size 34 in the waist, which makes sense, kind of judging by his his size there, I would say. Um, it's a good size for a guy who's a little more built. And uh, Matt thinks sweet potatoes are delicious. That's that's good. I think sweet, sweet potatoes are good. I don't know if I would be like, ooh, baby, put one of those in front of me and I'm happy. How do you feel about sweet potatoes, Matt? Or Chris, I'm Matt. Well, yeah, you are. Uh, Sorry, it's Matt. I still don't have a <laughs> Look at the word Matt. Well, you know, I think sweet potatoes kind of had like a moment around 2010. So I feel like perhaps, um, you know, Matt Hardy was ahead of the curve on sweet potatoes. He is in a lot of ways, I think, too. Uh, I don't know, Chris, I don't know how much time you, you if you listen to like uh, Bill Simmons, but that felt like a very Bill Simmons thing to say to be like, yeah, I think sweet potatoes had, t- had uh, they had a moment in 2010. I don't know. You know, like, are yams having a moment now? Very, very. They, they, but they did though. It was like they were kind of one of the superfoods before we got on the the whole kale kick, and then yes. after kale beets, and I'm not sure what we're on now. Okay, but, we went to beets. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, because I remember kale, quinoa was in there at some point. Right, uh, right. Yeah, beets were in there. I don't know what it is now. I feel like it, you. Know, it's funny. As soon as you say that, I'm like, hmm. I feel like one of those things that like a culture that's not dealing with a global pandemic. They they can have the energy to have nonsense like that. We're like, okay, what's the food now where it's in everything and mothers are going to be concerned about it and all that sort of thing. And now during a pandemic, it's like, we just need to get through the next little while here. We don't have time to like make up new foods to get excited about. Like there's also been no cronuts either, right? There's no, none of these kind of like great food inventions or moves of like, uh, oh, they put bacon in a cheeseburger in the cheeseburger to be clear i was trying to think of something more dramatic than that but, <laughs> you know, there's no, th- these great advancements in, in culinary things that have been replaced with uh, survival tactics very an interesting thought about how that works right we, we just want we just want pizza yeah yeah just give us yeah give us what we want and help us to not die would be would be great and help and help us to try to uh live in a society with people who seem to not care about us in any way um it's tough anyway <laughs> So we see an inset promo here of Matt Hardy. He's talking to Josh Matthews backstage with Shannon Moore. And he's talking about he's a cruiserweight champion. He just beat Billy Kimmon on Sunday. And, uh, he, he's, you know, kind of Edge is in the is in the, the culture backstage of SmackDown now. People are talking about what happened to him. Uh, and he says, you know, Edge could have avoided his unfortunate twist of fate if he was a Manitude follower. So Matt's a little one note with his criticism, criticisms of people. Uh, he criticized Jeff Hardy recently. I think it was also at No Way Out uh, for not being a Manitude follower. So he's like... He kind of every problem comes back to you should just be listening to me, which I mean, fair enough, but it's not the most nuanced kind of uh, way to talk about things. Follow Matitude, eat more sweet potatoes. Yeah, about it. Yeah, you will either get to be a thir- size 34 or you will reduce your weight <laughs> down. To that. You're gonna get right. somewhere in there. Yeah. And so Chris Benoit's partner for tonight is Rhino. Rhino has has not been seen since he lost the the WCW United States Championship to Kurt Angle in October 2001, back when the invasion was still happening here. Uh, and Rhino, of course, is also a former ECW champion. Uh, we're told that uh, uh, Rhino had a back and neck injury, it kept him out for 16 months. This is a similar one that uh, Chris Benoit actually had, and uh, we're told that as he beats up on Shannon Moore. Now, Chris, did you have um, do you have any sort of history with Rhino? Was Rhino somebody like, ah, oh, of course, Rhino? Or was it a weird thing? 
Yeah, I knew who Rhino was. I wasn't super tuned in at the time, so I wasn't really following him when he was ECW champion. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I certainly remember him from from when he returned later on, and right. he was uh, partnered with uh, oh, Heath Slater, right? Heath Slater, thank you for rescuing me. I wouldn't have come up with that name. And uh, uh, but but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I wasn't terribly excited about uh, the reveal of Chris Benoit's friend being Rhino. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe they had some history that uh, going back that I wasn't aware of that would make their friendship make a little more sense. I don't know what there is actually. Cause I'm thinking about it now. I'm like, okay, like at least what we saw on television, like Rhino was in the invasion, but Chris Benoit kind of famously was not because of his neck injury. He was not involved in the invasion at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they weren't, we didn't see, really see them on camera. I don't know if they did either. like Rhino. Cause he was a later, cause he was like the final ECW world champion until they brought that back. And, uh, and and Chris Benoit was, you know, it had been years since he had been in ECW, too. So I'm sure they crossed paths, though, at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think at this point, and maybe obviously not this exact point because he just debuted, but in 2003, I think I was pretty like, okay, Rhino's kind of a cool, he's a kind of a cool look. I, I liked his gore. And so I was I was pretty pro Rhino at the time that happened here. And so Benoit comes in, he beats on Shannon Moore, and then Matt Hardy cheats and gets the advantage and then tags in. And then there's these loud ECW chants that start up here. And there's just like the people in London, Ontario, an area that would not have had ECW shows, as far as I know, at least not in person. Um, so, yeah, they're chanting, chanting loudly for that. I mean, it speaks to this era's kind of nostalgia for ECW, which is it's funny. It's the nostalgia for a company that was dead two years ago. It's quick nostalgia. <laughs> right. We, we, we do that now, though. I mean, we're like, ah, remember Marvel movies? And we're like, yeah, those just we just we just saw those. Uh, but I mean, it was it was very potent for them too because it would lead to this uh, retrospective ECW DVD that they did. I think in 2004 or 2005, and then that success of that DVD, which sold bo- like bonkers for them, and I think they might have uh, sold other merch too. That led to ECW One Night Stand in 2005, then again in 2006, and then there were launches a new brand. So that was a whole that was a whole thing. So for whatever reason, ECW was popular in London, Ontario um, during this match. And so uh, Matt and Shannon Chan- try for the old Hardy Boys poetry in motion, but Benoit gets out of the way. He German suplexes Matt and tags in Rhino. And so Rhino run- runs wild. He gets a big spine buster on Matt for two. He hits a big British Bulldog-esque power slam on Shannon Moore. And I was like, oh, is that going to be the finish? Benoit comes off the top rope. He headbutts Shannon Moore. And then Rhino lines up Matt Hardy. He hits a big old gore on Matt and then folds him up wonderfully, wonderfully for the pin. Chris, what did you think of the gore? I thought the gore was pretty sweet. Um, I had forgotten that was his finisher. It had been so long since I've seen him in the ring. And uh, yeah, the match was short and sweet as it, as it should have been in that uh, particular circumstance. It was, it was a good way to bring Rhino back. Yeah. It's fun. I only connected the dots right now. It's like, it's interesting. The guy who has a spear as a finisher comes back just when edge is gone. So they're like they're kind of protecting that in a funny way. Not, I'm sure it's not on purpose. It's just kind of lined up that way. But we just went from one guy who had a spear as a finisher to another one. Um, now, okay, well, one's a gore and one's a spear. Fair enough. I, I, I and I do totally honestly think totally different. Yeah, totally different finishers. I think that gore is like a level, uh, like a level better than the spear too. Like I think I think Rhino and Rhino just looks the part. He's got those thighs that are like the size of me, and I'm not a small guy either. Like he's just got these huge, huge, huge legs. 
And so it looks like he's got so much power when he when he does it. There's sometimes a bit more of a dive to it too. Matt Hardy took it super well, also. Oh so yeah, he sold it well. Um, what did you think though? So so Matt Hardy wins the cruiserweight title at No Way Out on Sunday, and then by Thursday he's losing handily to Rhino. Does that is that a bad sign for Matt and the cruiserweight title? Not really. I mean, uh, Matt could afford the the loss, particularly in the circumstance of of Rhino coming back. I I thought it was fine. Yeah. I, it's it's not what it's not something I would recommend long term for a guy who for, if you're trying to like build up that division because I mean generally I mean and we talked about this before on this show I think maybe more more with Daniel but he's he's very much like Matt Hardy should protest even being this match because these guys are not in the cruiserweight division they, they are a weight class higher um, although I, it is a good point that it's like it is Rhino it is Chris Benoit so it does make sense that uh, Matt would lose to people who are like those guys are kind of obviously on another level like they're kind of like upper mid card if not sort of mm-hmm. main eventers so. It is a good. It's like if he lost to like uh, like a Sheamus or like a Randy Orton. Now I I, I probably shouldn't use modern examples because I'm not the, the strongest there, but uh, it would make sense to do it to uh, yeah to do it at the time. Well, what I liked about the finish is that it would have just been very obvious for Shannon Moore to to take the pin, and so I thought it was more right. interesting than than just having um, the lackey get defeated like you'd expect yeah i mean he does get totally killed but you're right you would expect him to also get pinned but he doesn't so we even mm-hmm. get yeah he might get some more of the rub good point uh so we see next up we see footage from last week's interview with nathan jones where michael cole talks to him i think uh, nathan jones ends up like choking him at one point doesn't really come up again later uh he alludes to having business with the undertaker he says he has like the, he wants to talk to the biggest dog in the yard and then we see the undertaker walking uh, backstage, and Michael Cole's like, oh, and there he is, the biggest dog in the yard. Like, it's like, all right, okay, good, got it, understood. He's got business <laughs> with it. And so after the break, Undertaker comes out, and Michael Cole reminds us that uh, he beat Big Show by submission at No Way Out. He had kind of a, a triangle chokehold on on under, um, on Big Show there, uh, which was not what he would end up using, the, the, the Gogo Plata, which the the MMA-style move that he would use later on. This was a slightly different, more conventional triangle choke. And uh, so Undertaker grabs a mic when he comes out. And I'm like, oh, great. We're going to hear an Undertaker promo. Not excited for this at all. Uh, another sign that we are in a different era because this just wouldn't happen that much. Like we had, There were very few times over the last, you know, 30 weeks of the show that we did that it would just be a guy comes down to the ring, grabs a mic and talks. It's like you talk backstage, you wrestle in the ring. I kind of like that as the ethos period, but it was nice. Ticker says, you know, Adrian, you wanted my attention. You have it. So now it's time for a fight. So A-Train at No Way Out came out and uh, hit the derailleur Baldo Bomb chokes uh, bomb move on Undertaker shortly after that. And so A-Train, attentive. He just comes right out. He comes out. I think he's wearing uh, wearing jeans, if I'm not mistaken. Or maybe he's wearing his – I can't remember if he's wearing his gear or not. Anyway, he just comes right out. Uh, And he's followed by Paul Heyman with a microphone. And so Paul Heyman says – he immediately is just like, just to be clear – the triangle choke submission used at uh, No Way Out, that was an illegal choke. So he's already being like, he's casting doubts on that even being a valid victory for mm-hmm. Undertaker. And so he's running through, Paul Heyman runs through all the people that he has in his roster of, of guys. He says, I'm the exclusive agent of Kurt Angle, the WWE champion, of Team Angle, the WWE tag team champions, the big show. I think he says twice is his favorite client, uh, which is kind of a cute detail to be that Paul Heyman is still kind of like trying to at least convinces us, if not Big Show himself, that actually you're my favorite. Like, so you, <laughs> you're a great guy. 
Mm-hmm. I think he even calls A Train his own phenom now, which is a real choice to be like. It's like, yeah, should we? We should we believe that? And so, um, in they come. And so down, down comes A Train, uh, and then Big Show uh, comes out as well. Sorry, Big Show came out, and then Big Show and A Train walk down. They get on either side of the ring, and then they come into the ring. My bad. Uh, and so they come in. Uh, Undertaker knocks down A Train. He goes after Big Show. He does well. He then he finally gets clotheslined by Big Show, and then he gets choke slammed. A Train hits a Vader bomb in the corner on Undertaker two, and uh, A Train holds Undertaker in place by the apron, and Big Show grabs a chair. So who knows who knows what's gonna happen here? Undertaker is in a terrible place, and then suddenly Nathan Jones arrives. We get to see the guy in person, and so he knocks Big Show off the apron. Uh, he breaks free of A Train's grasp to kick wildly at A Train. He does these big spin kicks. But A-Train gets out of the ring, and then Big Show and A-Train leave as Nathan Jones stands in the ring, staring at them. And that's from time out for the podcast, because we have to look at some primo internet content that exists because of SmackDown's taping schedule. Chris, did you have a chance to watch this, by the way, this this, this video that I sent you? I did not. No, oh, I, okay. I did not. I'm sorry. Uh, but just to quickly comment on Nathan Jones. Yeah, please. Mm-hmm. For for a guy that you know that we know uh, did not have a lengthy career in WWE, mm. the this reveal of him and him being someone who would protect the Undertaker, right? They really are building him up to be a major force. Like it, yeah. it seems like Vince really believes that this is you know one of the next big guys out there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, truly, I mean, almost next big thing level of kind of Brock Lesnar thing, too. I mean, uh, they must know that he doesn't have the same kind of raw wrestling ability, which you can kind of see. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, no, you're really right. They are they are saying, like, this is a guy. They're telling the fans, like, pay attention to this guy. Mm-hmm. He, he's not like, who else has tagged team with The Undertaker before, you know, or partnered with him? Kane, right? Like, it's like it's, you, you only have big deals to do that. Um, yeah, certainly uh, as a debut, for sure. You're right. Yeah. You know, probably so, to do a program as your first program with The Undertaker, other than Kane, you know, there's probably only a handful of guys who could say that. It's true, yeah. If you want to pull up the video, Chris, you can. I'm going to explain it to, I'm going to, explain it to the people now. And if anything, the video is proof that they really wanted to protect Nathan Jones. Uh, and so what this video that I'm describing is a – Kind of a quirk of how SmackDown's taping schedule worked. And um, I've talked about this before, but SmackDown was taped on a Tuesday, almost exclusively. We did a live show a few weeks ago, or probably many weeks ago now, uh, but it was largely taped. It was taped on a Tuesday. It aired on Thursday. And so what would happen on Tuesday nights is they would tape it wherever they're watching from. So in this case, it would be London, Ontario. And then via satellite, they would beam that footage, probably beam it live, uh, to Connecticut. And so if you had a special kind of satellite, I don't know if it what it would what kind it would be, uh, but depending on the satellite you had, you could find the feed that they were sending to Connecticut. You know, it wasn't encrypted. Like I mean today they would probably send it over the internet and it would be encrypted and you wouldn't be able to get access to that video. Uh, or or however they do it. But back then it was just like here is just a video feed. And I've actually seen people use this since then. I remember early on in the pandemic was uh, they were watching it was the first smackdown where they had no fans there and people were like wait so if there's no fans there and there's a match like will they keep wrestling during the match i remember somebody on SmackDown, somebody on twitter who had access to that was like uh no they just stopped there's a clip where it's just like 
they told they got a commercial, and then I think it's like oh, I might have been Bailey and Nikki Cross or someone like that. They just kind of like stop, and they're like, all right, well, I guess we're just gonna wait. Like a totally unnatural thing for them to do. Uh, and so yeah, at this time in 2003, usually it's just like uh, you would hear the announcers talking about stuff during commercials. Um, I've heard of them being like, oh, it's Taz and Cole kind of make fun of what happened, but I've never actually seen any proof of that. It'd be very interesting to see. I thought that would be like gold content for me. Oh my gosh, I'm fascinated to see that. Um, so, but what happened on this night was that they had to do a little bit of fixing because originally what happened is that Nathan Jones messed up his saving of the Undertaker. So what actually happened the first time the fans saw this in real life, a train is holding Undertaker down. Big show has a chair. Nathan Jones runs down. And the first time that he, uh, spin kicks at a train. He spins and he lands, but he kind of loses his footing and stumbles backward uh, before he starts to kick more, throw more kicks at A Train's direction. And so it just it just looks a little like uh, clumsy, like you're kinda, like it's this guy who's supposed to come out and be like, "Look, I'm a master of, well, I guess in this case, martial arts. If he's doing spin kicks, and instead of being a master, he's like, I don't know if it's anxiety or what it is, but he like he he essentially just stumbles and he looks a little little silly, right? Yeah, and, I just pulled up the clip now, yes, and uh, yeah, pretty embarrassing debut for the poor guy. Yeah. Uh, basically spitting around and almost landing on his ass. Yeah, and so after he does the spin kick and he does the kicks, it, things pers- proceed pretty much exactly how you see on the show. A-Train backs off, he runs away, Big Show goes with him, and then they they waste a few minutes because we see a kind of some sped-up footage there. We see a crew guy come down with the referee to tell Undertaker, hey, we're actually going to go do that again. We don't see it, but he clearly he's talking to Undertaker. And he tells Undertaker, go back to kind of where you were. And then A-Train and Big Show come back down with Paul Heyman to that specific moment again. And uh, it's funny to see it in the clip, too, because they're walking down almost as if they're like, no, we're going we're gonna to do – like this is a new moment sort of thing. But they just go back to exactly where they were, where A-Train's in the corner. Nathan Jones comes in. He lands it properly this time. And that's it. So what they did is they edited the two together. Um, and, you know, we would never know except for the folks in London who would be like, oh, yeah, they had to go back and redo that in front of us. And it was weird. And they also did it uh, live uh, via satellite for other people to see. And uh, so I, as far as I can tell, the huge just coming and they cut to the, the fixed thing where he throws the kick. And then I think they go back to the original footage. They really only have him just kind of like nailing the kick. Now, in fairness, too, or not in fairness, but the funny thing is, too. Uh, he's not actually kicking a train. He's kicking at a train. He never connects to one of these things. It's supposed to be this kind of this right. big threatening. Um, but it's a little curiosity. And anytime I can share them on the podcast, I have to because I also remember, I think it was at um, Great American Bash in 2004. Uh, there was somebody had the satellite feed and they actually got uh, footage from like rehearsal stuff earlier in the day where uh, Mordecai, the wrestler, came out and they practiced some things. There's this huge spoilers for. Something bad happens to Paul Barrow in that in that show, and they actually recorded it beforehand. Uh, the people saw like at like two o'clock in the afternoon before the pay per view happened. Totally weird. Uh, but if I ever have anything else like this come up again, I will because I think it's fascinating and it's very funny when they have to redo things because you know that's that's part of what SmackDown is is that uh, it's it's not live. It is, you can screw up and they all actually be like, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna go for that again. Um, so yeah. Funny, it's it's a weird moment, hey. Do you, any any other thoughts there, Chris, on that little clip? Well, I mean, having watched it uh, as it was supposed to be on the show after yeah. it had been edited, I certainly couldn't tell that there was any editing being done. 
No, so not at all. It fooled me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They do a really clean job with it. Uh, we, we get another promo for the No Way Out Hulk Hogan humiliation footage. So we're told we're going to see it later. Not yet, not yet though. So here we go. Uh, instead, the next thing we see is a clip from two weeks ago when Brock Lesnar F5 John Cena into the ring post, injuring his knee. And I think I think this is fully a uh, kayfabe knee injury as far as I can tell. And then we see John Cena, who is once again rapping from what appears to be his house. Uh, and he's rapping while well, kind of on the computer. And so he is making computer references the whole time. He says things like, you can't erase me. I'll make you taste me. Uh, and he's talking about Brock. Uh, and, he's talking about, and he once again hitting on the fact that Brock Lesnar is stupid. He says, I'm rocking PlayStation 2. You can't figure out a Tari. And this is this is interesting for a couple of reasons. One of which is that they are building a Brock Lesnar-John Cena feud, which is not for WrestleMania. This is fully going to be a thing that develops after WrestleMania. And they're doing it now, which is like... Do they ever do this now, Chris, in your experience? Like, they almost never would have a couple programs going for the, for the uh, champion. No, but I, I kind of liked it. I kind of liked yeah, when you got too. multiple feuds that are, are sort of interwoven and play out at different times. Kind of like what they do with uh, the ongoing drama with Roman Reigns contemporary 2020 2021 where the story is him and the Usos but meanwhile the story is also uh him and Daniel Bryan it's him and uh human edge uh and and so actually I really liked this detail I thought it was a good way to to bring Cena into the story uh not having known uh because I, I didn't remember it from the time that that they end up revisiting this feud after WrestleMania. Yeah, they, they totally do. And uh, yeah, I like I like it too for the reason you say, where it makes sense. It, it makes sense too for like the big guy to be getting not just like it's not like people in the locker room are just like you know what he's got a feud with somebody else. I'm just gonna respect that. It's like no, <laughs> right. it just seems yeah. mad at him, right? So yeah, um, it's a good thing to do. And honestly, like I like the idea of being like, okay, let's build the guy up for WrestleMania. Have him take out another kind of um, top, a future top guy. And then when he wins at WrestleMania, you can have the other future top guy challenge him for it. Get beaten, like, like definitively, but still, but not enough so that you're like, oh, that guy sucks. Because it's like, oh, the fact that he was even there kind of gets him over as a wrestler. Where you're like, oh, you know, now that I've seen John Cena in a main event, you can you can kind of see him maybe many main eventing in the future. Yeah, absolutely. So credibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then famously, John Cena finishes this uh, rap in a very famous way, which is uh, which is crazy. He said, John Cena says, "Your finishes the F5, mine's the FU." And uh, so John Cena hadn't even revealed what that move was, and that move would, of course, go on. Uh, it was first called the FU, and then it becomes the adjustment, which is um, it's essentially the beginning of John Cena having his finishing move now. So it's it we're seeing the final pieces coming in. Uh, as as the character, even though he has yet to use that move on camera. So yeah, Chris, did you have a reaction to seeing to hearing him say the fu thing? Yeah, I was wondering if that was actually the reveal of his finisher. It has been cool to see, you know, from the first episode that I watched with for this podcast, uh, Cena being you know a fairly generic figure mm-hmm. now has been. So built out into uh, the Cena that is recognizable uh, to, to who we understand him to be today. 
Yeah, they're, they're, they're slowly kind of putting things together. It is fun to go back and do it. It's also, it's crazy too, it's been 18 years. Uh, that's how long it was that John Cena was, was becoming John Cena. Mm. Uh, and so we take a break and we see uh, Brian Kendrick who's walking into the ring. And he has no music. And he has to tell, there's a funny detail here, he has to tell the announcer, Tony Chimmel, his hometown and his weight. And Tony Chimmel is kind of like, how, how, how are you? What's, what are you doing here? Oh, it's kind of a fun detail here. And so, yeah, we're, we're doing the current angle with Paul Heyman versus Brian Kendrick five-minute challenge, which I think is a fun little storyline. It's one of those things where it's like it's not – it's not it's so different from what a regular match is like uh, where it's just like competitive. It's just telling a different story in a physical way that actually works pretty well for wrestling here. And so I, I thought it done pretty well, which we can talk about. So Kurt is coming down to the ring, uh, and it looks pretty badass. He's got Paul Heyman looks very serious. He's got the WWE title. He's got the velvet hoodie. He just looks like a champion. He just seems like a guy who's like that guy's a world champion and he looks dope. And uh, he also he has something in his hoodie's pocket. I don't know what it is. I I don't think it ever comes out, but it looks like it's a little book or something like that. I don't know why it's there. Uh, and so uh, the bell rings and a clock appears on the screen. And so uh, Kurt Angle offers the amateur wrestling position of the referee. Where you get on your hands and knees there, and he's like, so Kurt is essentially like, hey, like feel free, free shot at me, go for it. And so Brian Kendrick hops on board. He doesn't get very far with it, uh, you know, and then Kurt kind of takes over. He rubs them all over himself and, and he lets him go, slaps him around a bit. And then Kurt Angle kind of offers Brian Kendrick a free shot. He gives him his cheek, and he goes, yeah, you can hit me. And then he even goes so far as to get on his knees, put his hands behind his back, and close his eyes. And Brian Kendrick kind of hesitates a few times. He's not sure. And then he kind of turns sideways and he kicks him hard in the side of the head. And he gets a flurry of punches. And uh, I think the crowd gets pretty excited here. Like they, they, they're they into this Brian Kendrick guy. So that was neat. And uh, Kurt Angle shuts down the excitement with the belly to belly suplex. And every time Kurt Angle does anything remotely resembling an actual wrestling move, it's like, it's like, oh, okay. The crowd like gets like kind of quieted down. Mm-hmm. And then Angle, this is, I don't know why, this seems so simple to me, but this was such a crazy moment, where Angle follows it up. He puts Brian Kendrick in the corner. He sits him on the top rope, and then he just slaps the hell out of him uh, loudly, and it flips him out of the ring and onto the floor. Like, did did that move hit you as hard as it did me, Chris? That was like a crazy slap. Oh, yeah. Uh, Kendrick is selling really well. Um, this, this match, actually, I was more enthralled with this match than anything on the card so far yeah it, 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 yeah absolutely up to this point it's there's nothing else that's like as engaging with it um part of it is just it's also just like one of a kind too where it's like there are just aren't other matches where you have where you have like stakes like this where you're like yeah i mean you know if he wins he, he gets something if he loses he just doesn't so i think that helps too right and and throughout the match you could see kurt angle is stalling for time and sort of you know that it's going to build up towards those last, you know, 30 seconds uh, where that's going to be the reveal at the end of the match. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, Kurt's playing with it too, right? So, like, with two minutes and 20 seconds left, he puts on an ankle lock uh, onto Kendrick. And then he quickly release, releases it. I mean, in theory, I, all sorts of his moves and stuff that he's done tonight, the idea is that Kurt could just end it. Surely he mm-hmm. could just put, get Kendrick the ankle lock and he would have to tap out. Uh, we hear Paul Heyman uh, say, pretend he's Brock Lesnar, which is something that he used to yell at Big Show. And it's funny that he, he's using it again here for Kurt Angle, which is not really part of the um, 
that feud per se that he's like, oh, I want to take my energy out on 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 Brock Lesnar at the time. And uh, Kurt even goes, he gets him up in an angle slam, then he just drops him down in his stomach. Um, and then Kendrick gets laid out in the second rope, and Kurt Angle says, you're not going to make it. And then uh, Brian Kendrick uh, flips his way out of a kick, and then he gets this kind of like uh, cutter to the knee move on him, and he even gets a cover on Angle, um, which is crazy. And then he gets um, slice bread number two. Sorry, he goes for slice bread number two. He's kind of running into the corner to get a flipping reverse DDT. And that's with 45 seconds left, but he gets flipped out of it, or Kurt flips out of it there, and he clotheslines him instead. 15 seconds left. Brian Kendrick gets some elbows in, uh, but Angle fights back. He gets an angle slam, and he pins him with two seconds on the clock. So 4.58, Kendrick loses to Kurt Angle. And there's just a lot of energy in it, and I just think they should do it again if they can, because I thought it was, like, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, beat-the-clock matches are great. Um, very recently featured on uh, Raw, a couple of them with with Nikki Cross and Rhea Ripley and oh, yeah. Charlotte Flair. Um, but uh, this was this was even better. This was this was fantastic. A great little introduction to Brian Kendrick. Yeah, I don't remember how he ends up getting on the roster because he definitely does. Even though in this moment it's like, oh, I guess he's not really on there. And uh, Kurt stands over Brian Kendrick. He looks pretty angry. And Brad Kendrick looks up the clock, and he's so bummed he was two seconds away. And you just kind of feel it. He's like, no, like, I just, uh, I was so close. Like, that's my last shot kind of thing. And uh, you feel it. It's that wrestling thing of just, like, you wanted to win, and you care about it. And then so Kurt Angle gets gets on the mic, and he starts by saying, I love it, too. He just like, had this big match with Brian Kendrick, and he's like, well, first off, he says, Kurt Angle had nothing to do with Edge's injury at No Way Out. And... The line he says, which which just made me laugh, he just says it so simply as if he's like a, a, a defense lawyer who trained for this. He said, he said, we didn't do it, and you can't prove it. It's like, all right, there we go. Kurt Angle has weighed in definitively. <laughs> you can't do anything about this. Uh, and he says, you know, Brent Kendrick, you've got guts. I mean, you're not going to get anywhere in this business, but you have guts. And uh, uh, Angle raises his arm. He tells the fans to applaud. And so immediately you're like, okay, something's going to happen, poor Brian Kendrick. And then Kurt says, Brock Lesnar, this one's for you. And he smashes Brian Kendrick down. And he throws him out of the ring. And he throws Kendrick into the steps. And Kendrick flips right over them. Uh, and he gets tossed into the ring post. And then back in the ring, Angle puts Kendrick on his shoulders. And he hits on Brian Kendrick. So he's, he's as, as Michael Cole says, he goes, that's Brock Lesnar's move. Which is like, yes, we, <laughs> we know. We get it. Kurt Angle's a bad dude. Uh, I mean, it, it is fun to see him do the F5. The F5 is one of those moves you're like, I guess other people could do it, but it just seems so Brock centric that at uh, yeah, it's well, fun to yeah, see. yeah, you don't see other guys being, I think, allowed to be able to do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's like it's sacrosanct for most of the time. Mm-hmm. And then we were told that the screwing of Hulk Hogan is next. The screwing of Hogan. So we're back to this tragic thing, which has like a title, as if it's like a uh, a big art art piece that you would see at a gallery. So it's like, okay, we're finally going to get to this video. And then uh, we get to, uh, after the break, announcer Tony Chimmel, he asks us to welcome Mr. McMahon's personally selected referee from the match at No Way Out, Sylvain Grenier. And uh, just like Kendrick, he has no music. And Sylvain Grenier does something that works very well in English Canada, which is uh, he speaks in French to get himself over as a heel. The fans hate it right away. London, Ontario is not having it. No. And I think he says, I'm very happy to be here, is all he really says. And he says, yeah, so uh, Mr. McMahon wanted me to introduce this clip of Hogan Rock, too. 
And so we see it again. This is essentially the last like four minutes of No Way Out. Rockets a people's elbow. Hulk Hogan hulks up. Hogan hits the punches. He hits the big boot, the leg drop. He gets the cover. One, two, the lights go out. And the lights come back on seconds later. Everyone is down but Hogan. Uh, Vince comes out. Hogan is distracted by Vince being there. <laughs> Hogan's like, what are you, you turn off the lights, man. What are you doing? And then we see Rock gets a chair slid to him by the referee, who we now know is Sylvain Grenier. Uh, he hits him with the chair. Rock hits a rock bottom, and Rock wins. Vince comes back. He raises the arms of both guys, the referee and uh, the Rock. And he takes off his shirt to show off, like, a Hogan parody shirt, essentially, where it's like I, – I still remember Michael Cole says – it says brother sucks on the back. He's so disgusted with it. And I'm not really sure why they felt the need to show this show, uh, the end of this, on free television. Uh, I don't I, – my cynical – that just the guy booking it, Vince McMahon, wanted to make sure his match at WrestleMania has as much attention as possible. I don't know. This is not common to do this sort of thing. So who knows? Um, and then we see Sylvain Grenier, he, he wins people. And then we see a clip uh, after No Way Out, which happened, which Hulk Hogan is running around backstage yelling for Vince. And he finds Stephanie and he tells her uh, to tell him that he's going to beat the hell out of Vince. And so this is weird because at No Way Out, Stephanie left to go take Edge to the hospital. I guess she came back, but it's like that wouldn't make sense. She would come back after the show, after all those shenanigans happened. So it was just just a weird thing there. Um, I don't know. Chris, do you have any thoughts on No Way Out in this little uh, moment here with Stephanie? Uh, you know, in general, I thought that it was a great throwback to the Montreal screw job. Oh, sure. uh, because I didn't watch No Way Out. I guess I appreciated seeing it again, although I suppose if I had already watched it, you know, maybe it would be a little bit much. Um, and uh, a lot of CanCon here, you know, like Canada was True. so central to the Montreal screw job. I, I feel like when we think of wrestling history and our nation's part in it, then um, uh, I, I like to see I like to see the throwback to that. Yeah. No, I, I do too. And it's funny, wrestling is one of those things that does kind of lean more Canadian than other things, which I which I enjoy. Um, there's just more Canadian content in general there. Uh, and so, yeah, so after that, we have uh, Taz tells us that Hulk Hogan is going to be on SmackDown next week. Uh, and that next week we're going to see Undertaker versus A-Train. So that match is uh, just happening immediately here. And then uh, we're also going to see Brock against someone from Team Angle in a steel cage. We go backstage, we see Paul Heyman is sitting between Haas and Benjamin in the locker room. He's framed by their title belts, their track belts. It kind of looks messianic. It's kind of it has he's very much framed in a almost religious way. And uh, so, yeah, he's essentially just like, look, hey, Brock wants to break down our team. Brock wants to face Kate, Kurt in the cage next week. It's our job to make sure he doesn't do that. And we go from them, we see Brock Lesnar. He's exercising uh, with some exercise equipment. And then because he's so strong, he just breaks it. He's using these elastic resistance bands, and they snap, and he goes, oh, whatever, and he just leaves. <laughs> Which is such a – they've done that sometimes with just like, okay, we need 10 seconds of Brock looking like an absolute monster, uh, and it works. So next up, we have Team Angle. That's Charlie Haas and Shelton Benjamin. And we're coming to the ring by Kurt Angle and Paul Heyman to face Brock Lesnar in a handicap match. And uh, Kurt is clapping. He's supportive on his way down to the ring. He's being this perfect picture of a bench warmer. And then when Brock comes out, this is a great moment where Kurt is looking at Brock and he looks very not excited. He looks very much like, oh shit, like look at this guy, he's gonna he's gonna kill me. And then he gets close to the ring, he starts smiling. He's kind of, and they kind of even call it on a commentary. It's like he's less less confident. 
And uh, I was kind of worried watching this where I was like, are they going to do the same thing as they did with Rhino where uh, they can kill their tag team champions by making them lose to a guy in a handicap match? It's kind of a risk here, right? Mm-hmm. I was um, concerned about that. Yeah. So Brock starts with Haas. The shoulder's in the corner, and then he gets flipped with a hip toss. Uh, and then Kurt, he, you even hear Kurt calling out to Charlie Haas, like, hey, sh- tell, uh, tag in Shelton. And so uh, there's a fallaway slam that Brock hits, and then he sends Haas towards Benjamin, who tags in. You're like, okay, here's the free, the, the healthy guy. But then he promptly gets belly to belly suplexed. And so Brock charges the Shelton in the corner. He kicks him. Haas runs in to clothesline Brock clean out of the ring. And it just looked dramatic because essentially Charlie Haas just like, mm, I'm just going to cheat right now. And he just smashes Brock all the way out of the ring. Uh, and, and I liked it as a bit of strategy too, where it's like, okay, you have to cheat a little bit to get a brief advantage here. Uh, you're already kind of already at an advantage, but um, it just makes sense in this match. You won't like to get disqualified, so it's fine, right? Uh, and so the uh, the ref has to deal with Haas. Then Kurt's up on the apron. Uh, Paul Heyman kicks on Brock on the other side of the ring. And uh, Shelton Benjamin gets a brief advantage before Brock fights back. And then Haas goes after Brock. Kurt pulls Brock out of the ring. And we've got practically a four-on-one here. And the commentators are calling it out. They're like, oh, it's so unfair, so unjust. And so uh, Brock chases Kurt. He's like, okay, well, if you're going to chase me, I'm at least trying to beat you up. I still have you at WrestleMania. And he grabs him by the ring post. But then uh, Haas grabs him, and he throws him into the ring post. And Paul Heyman comes over and hits him with a chair. So Brock is in this, this underdog position now because he's been so uh, overwhelmed and hit with a chair. Uh, which is funny because it was a handicap match before, and they had to do even more to make it be uh, give Brock a disadvantage at all. And so they, co- they cover Kurt uh, – sorry, they cover Brock. He kicks out. And Haas gets a sleeper on the mat, and just like at No Way Out with Kurt Angle, Brock gets onto his feet. Uh, but this time, instead of running into the turnbuckles, Brock climbs the second rope with Charlie Haas still on his shoulders, and they both fall down, which breaks Brock free, which is great, like uh, Brock free. I've almost never seen that, which is cool. I see a guy like climbing when he's on his shoulders there. Um, and so Shelton comes in, and Brock kind of gets to his feet. It's kind of like, hey, oh, I'm actually not as much of a disadvantage as he thought I did. And so he hits a clothesline. Then he suplexes uh, Shelton Benjamin. He suplexes Haas. He knocks Angle off the apron. And then he goes for Haas again, but Haas counters. He gets Brock around the waist. And then he and Shelton connect into a German suplex, which looked great. Uh, and that gets two. So they have Brock kind of on the on the ropes here. And then Haas and Benjamin both have Brock in the corner. He throws them both off. And then Brock gets Haas up for an F5. Uh, but when he goes to throw him, instead of him landing on the mat, uh, Shelton Benjamin catches him. And so he doesn't actually hit the F5 on it, which is a cute little counter. And Brock doesn't really care. Uh, he drives uh, Haas out of the ring. And so he goes, whatever. I'll just, and he just F5s Shelton Benjamin instead. And that gets the 1, 2, 3, 2. And so the commentators are they're going nuts. Because Brock wins. They're, oh, he's got to face Kurt Angle next week. And then uh, Brock slides out of the ring. And he grabs Paul Heyman. And he brings him inside to F5 him, and then Kurt saves him. And I'm not sure why they had this moment, I guess, maybe to drive home what's about to happen, which is Kurt and Paul Heyman are yelling at each other on the ramp. And Kurt even slaps Paul Heyman. Did you catch that, Chris? I, I, I did. Yeah, slaps him in a way like, come to your senses, because Paul Heyman is is really selling his, his near-death experience. Yes. He almost got me. He almost got me. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. Kurt also has this energy of like, you were supposed to prevent that from happening. We had a, like, mm-hmm. a handicap. Now I have to face this guy next week. So, yeah, this is this, this fun kind of energy there where they're both freaked out. And so Kurt, Kurt and Paul are together on the ramp. 
And so Brock grabs the mic and he's addressing the guys. He's spitting all over the mic. Like you'd see like big, like uh, he's an athlete. You know, you've all sorts of excess spit and stuff in your mouth. It happens. And he says, you know what, Kurt, I've got you WrestleMania. So next week I'm going to face you. And so Kurt's like, oh, because he says you and he's pointing at Kurt uh, Kurt Angle. So he says you. And then he adds Paul Heyman. And so Paul Heyman, before he said his name, was facing away from Brock Lesnar. And he was talking to Kurt Angle. And so, of course, we get this moment where Paul Heyman turns around and looks at Brock. The camera does a whole zoom in on him. On him and, and he just has this great terrified face. It was just like a perfect silly moment. Paul Heyman being the only person who was surprised that, uh, that Brock didn't want to face Kurt Angle next yeah. week on SmackDown. Yeah. I think Brock Lesnar a few weeks ago even made a point of saying, I have goals. I want to win the Royal Rumble. I want to face Kurt Angle at WrestleMania. I want to F5 Paul Heyman. And it's like, okay, Brock is about to, you know, check everything off this list, which he was on television saying he wanted to do. Uh, and so, yeah, Paul Heyman has this great reaction. Kurt Angle has a great reaction, too, where he starts to back away from Paul Heyman. And he's kind of like half smiling because he's like, I can't believe it in some ways. But he's like, oh, that sucks for this guy. Like, <laughs> yeah, he, he does not have a lot of concern for him. And then Mike, and then before we go off the air, Taz says has these two great lines, where he says, "Hey Heyman, if you don't believe in God, start." And then he says, "Next week, here comes the pain." And with Paul Heyman being freaked out, we go off the air. And so, Chris, what did you think of that that last kind of moment there, and what did you think of the show? Well, just the main event in general, the idea of your tag team champions losing to even such a indomitable force as Brock Lesnar. But with also Kurt Angle at ringside and Paul Heyman, it was a four on one. Yeah. Um, I think it does really hurt your champions. I don't really like that. Um, Team Angle from the get-go was always kind of burned with like, they don't really have an identity in and of themselves. They're Kurt Angle's lackeys. But right. if you're if you're the tag team champions, you shouldn't be losing to anybody. Um, Much less one guy. You shouldn't be losing to Braun Strowman and a twelve-year-old boy named what was his name? Benjamin. Something, uh, something like that. Timothy at WrestleMania. Nicholas. Nicholas thank you. Um, yeah, it shouldn't happen. So I I don't really like that. Um, so. Ah, what do you think of the show as a whole? You know, I, I I thought that the rest, the level of wrestling content, the quality of the matches, uh, definitely suffered relative to the previous episodes I've seen from the past two years. Sure. Really, it was only the uh, the five minute match, the one that that had the uh, I, I guess it was probably the if it wasn't the the Rhino Benoit match, then this that would have been the shortest match on the show was actually the best one. Right. So, um, you know, overall, um, definitely not one of the strongest showings for SmackDown. Yeah. But they were in London, Ontario. So. Sure. Yeah. I think I liked a little bit more more than you did because I, I liked the main events, which I thought was good, like a fun kind of story there as well. 
I don't, f- some fun angle stuff there. I like the Rhino debut. I thought it was nice and strong. I also really enjoyed that the Brian Kendrick match, the storytelling there. I don't love the Hogan Vince stuff, but it's a good little episode uh, for me uh, using our rating system, which I'll remind people are uh, here comes the pain, shut your mouth and just bring it, which is essentially a good eh, or sorry bad eh, and good respectively. I still call us a just bring it. Where are you at with that, Chris? You shut your mouth or just bring it? Um, wait. I thought here comes the pain was an option. It is. Sorry, it's the worst. I thought oh. I just thought you didn't think it was the worst. Yeah, I kind of think it was. Okay, interesting. There we go. Sorry, SmackDown producers. Sorry, London, Ontario. <laughs> hey, they, they just fired the main guy, so you know they they've already made the choice, so it's their fault really for this. Yeah, yeah. And you so, know, yes. it would have would have made a difference if they had Hulk Hogan or Rock on the show. Um, oh sure. So I think it was also a little bit lacking in star power too. Yeah, I think that's a fair that's a fair thing. Well, you know what? Next week's show, supposedly it's going to have Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan on it, so you have to join us for yeah. that. That'll be the March 6, 2003 episode of SmackDown. That's going to be covering next week. Uh, Chris, thanks so much for joining me for this episode, man. I had a lot of fun talking about the uh, London Ontario's uh, great SmackDown and all the the shenanigans therein. Always happy to to join you, Matt. And and sorry to the the folks in london ontario for for all my degrading comments you can just consider me the i guess i guess i can be the heel in this instance sure Uh, don't take don't take it too personally london that's right and you know what folks we're so glad you joined us thank you for uh for listening to the podcast share it with a friend if there's anybody in your life we think like it uh follow us on social media smackdown six pod instagram and twitter and next week we'll see you inside a steel cage